again. Good morning. If you're joining us online, we are glad that you're joining us. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name's Sean. I am one of the pastors here, and we are going to get close. We're going to get close to finishing Matthew 12 today. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Matthew 12. If you've got the Bible app, you can turn to Matthew 12. Um, we've got a lot to cover in the next 53 minutes, so we've got to get right into it. So if you have a Bible, Matthew 12, verse 33, here's where we're going to be, okay? Let's get right to it. It says this. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Now, if you remember, if you've been here the last couple weeks, join us online the last couple weeks, we've been working through the book of Matthew, and Matthew 12 starts with a story about this incredible healing. Uh, there's a guy, he's demon-possessed, and he's blind, and he's mute, and Jesus heals him. And, and can we all agree that if there's a dude who's blind, mute, and demon-possessed, and then he's not because of Jesus, that's a good thing. Is that true? Yeah, okay, there's three of us that agree, the rest of us don't, okay? That's a good thing. Okay, so maybe I need to go back. If you're blind and mute and Jesus heals you, that's a good thing, okay? So <laughs> that's a good thing that Jesus does. That's a good thing. And yet... And yet, somehow, there's always somebody who's going to be Krabby Patty about a good thing, isn't there? No matter how good or great, I mean, Jesus heals this man. That's an amazing thing that everybody should be rejoicing. And yet, in every moment, there has to be someone who wants to complain. It's just the nature of us being human. And in this scenario, it happens to be a group we call the Pharisees, a group of religious leaders in their day. That complain, and they get upset, and they complain to Jesus, and Jesus is speaking to them. And this moment that we're coming to in Matthew 12, that we just read here in Matthew 12, verse 33, is, is kind of Jesus' altar call to them. It's kind of Jesus summing up his argument, and, he, and he's, he's asking them a question. Is, this is the question, is basically he's asking them, is what I did good or what I did bad? Because, you see it here, right? The tree can't make... A good tree can't make good fruit. I mean, can only make good fruit, and a bad tree can only make bad fruit, right? But, but the weight of this question is way more significant for a first century Jew than it is for us. You see, if I was to ask you if that's a good thing, we're imagining it in, in, in a, a moral, relativistic, 21st century Western way of thinking, right? But that's not what Jesus is asking, because you see, in a first, for a first century Jew, good was was, was um. Well, they borrowed it from Greek philosophy, and there's this idea that there's, there's a source of good, and they would talk about the source of good as a spring or a fountain, right? And, and the source of good would well, and there was a place that is ultimate good, and, and, and Jews borrowed from this thought, and they would say, yes, there is a place of ultimate good that all good comes from, that all good resides in, and that good is God. It's why Jesus asks one guy, he, he says, why do you call me good? Because as a good Jew, the only thing that is good is, is something that is either actually God himself or comes directly from God. So this is a bigger question than a moral question. He's asking them, do you believe that I've come from God? Because this goodness would well up from a fountain, right? You got to think of this kind of theoretically. Well up from fountain, and anything that that fountain of water touched would be good, would be cleansed. Would be made whole, would be, would be given life. 
right? And so he's asking them, if what I did is good, th- think of good, not morally, think of from God, then, then what do you say of me? Am I good or am I from God? But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just ask them to critique his fruit. He critiques their fruit. He asks them to critique their fruit, right? Is what's coming out of you good or evil, from God or not from God? James says it another way. James says it this. In James 3, he says this. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water, think good water, clean water, usable, life-giving water, and salt water flow from the same spring? You, you see the imagery? You see that once you see this uh, fount imagery, this, this spring imagery as a source of good, as God, you see it all throughout Scripture. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the same question he's asking. Jesus is asking the religious leaders, and the question we need to ask ourselves today is the same question. Does the fruit you're bearing look like the words you claim? Does the fruit you're bearing, does does the end result of you, does the impact that you have on your marriage, on your neighbors, on your family, in your workplace, in your community, does, does the result of you being a part of that community look good, like the words you claim, or does it look evil or not good or broken or rotten? Recently, I was listening to a leadership podcast, and um. They were interviewing this guy, and he was talking about systems and leadership and, and, and managing people. And, and he, he stole from a manufacturing illustration. He said this. He said, um, the, your system, your system is perfectly, perfectly tuned to create exactly what it's creating. And I think the same is true of our souls. He, here's what he meant. Here's what he meant. Um, if, if you follow a recipe to make a cake and you make the cake, and the cake's dry, right? You're like, oh, that was dumb. Well, maybe I missed a step. I'm gonna try it again, right? And you make a cake, and you make the cake again, and the cake's dry, and, and, and you're like, well, maybe I missed it. Maybe I'm gonna try it again, and you try again, and, and the cake's still dry. For you to try a fourth time and think that maybe this time the cake would be moist is absurd because what you have is a recipe for a dry cake, right? And if, when you look at your life, What you see scattered in the rearview mirror is brokenness and pain and heartache and maybe what Jesus would say, bad fruit. Or as James would say, like salty, unusable water. Maybe, maybe there's some looking inside we need to do at our own soul to see what's going on in us. Because a, a fig tree can't make olives. And a grapevine can't bear figs. If when you look at your life and you look at your relationships and you think, well, maybe next time it'll be different. If you look at your finances and say, oh, well, maybe next month I'll figure it out. We'll get, it'll be better next month. It'll be better next month. But you never do the hard work of working inside your soul. That's like the pinnacle of absurdity. And Jesus is asking us, Does the fruit that you claim to bear, 
Does your life actually look like that? So what does it look like to be the kind of tree that produces good fruit? What does it look like to live a life that produces good fruit? Jeremiah 17, it's a book in the Old Testament. He's a prophet, and and he says this. He says this in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is, is the Lord, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. He'll be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. So if you're a note taker, here's the deal. If you wanna produce good fruit, we're gonna talk about two things today. If you want to see in your life real meaningful change, if you wanna see in your life a movement of God, if you wanna see restoration and forgiveness and grace and mercy and joy and rejoicing and life pouring through you, here's two things. First one, to produce good fruit, we say this. To produce good fruit, you must be planted. You must be planted. You must be planted. I I will say this probably as many times as I stand on the stage for as many years as God gives me to be here. Here's the deal. If God has not called you to this church, go somewhere else. But if God has called you to this church, plant your roots. Dig in. Dig in, don't wait around. Dig yourself deep in with relationships, with purpose, and don't wait. Because see, here's the thing, you will never, (laughs) I don't know how emphatic I could tell you this, you will never, oh, oh, here, here, just to show you I'm serious, I'm gonna put it on the screen. You will never, you will never experience the fullness of what God wants for you in life, simply sitting back, consuming church. You are called to be the church. You are called to dig your roots in deep. The, the woods are, um, are majestic. I mean, they're huge. They're, they're ridiculous. They're amazing. These, these trees, right? Um, some of them hundreds of feet high. The, the circumference is just massive. I mean, you've seen the pictures, right? Here's the thing. There's a weird thing about the redwood trees, most trees, uh, their root system goes in general loosely. If you work with plants, don't freak out and send me an email. I don't, I don't care. Um, most, most trees, their, their roots go about as deep as they go up in the air. Okay, it's the way they anchor themselves in balance and the storms and the chaos and the wind. They go about as deep as they go up in the air. Uh, um, here's the thing. With redwoods, one of the weird things about redwoods is that their roots are shockingly shallow. The roots of some redwoods that span hundreds of feet into the air can be as little as five and six feet deep. Isn't that crazy? But you know why? It's because they grow in groves. And instead of going down, their roots go sideways and their roots intertwine with one another. And so in a grove of redwoods, they will all be interconnected with one another, twisted and knotted together. And I was reading about it, and it says that sometimes their roots, as they come across one another, they, they, they will actually begin to fuse together with one another. This whole, this whole grove will become interconnected. So if a storm comes, it's not just one tree that's taking the beating. They're all interconnected, holding on to one another. And then it said if a, if a, if a redwood becomes diseased, one of the reasons they live so long is if a redwood becomes diseased or if it has fire or if it's threatened in some way, uh, the other redwoods will actually provide nutrients to the one redwood through its fused together root system. This is what it means to be planted. 
That this is the image that God has of what it means to be a part of his church, what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus, is to be so interconnected with one another that we can live out the words that it tells us that we would bear our burdens one with another. That when one of us is aching and hurting and deprived and at risk, that the others can share with one another because they're so intertwined. When the winds begin to beat on the edge of the grove, they are so interconnected with each other that they hold one another together and they hold one another up. This is what God's calling us to. In fact, one, um, one pastor commented, that there is actually no command in the New Testament that you be committed to a local body of believers. Did you know that? There's nowhere. I mean, you can look it up. Second Hesitation 7, 6. Thou shalt be committed to a local body of believers. It doesn't say it anywhere. And here's why. This is what the pastor said. He said, because the, the writers of the Bible could not fathom a follower of Jesus that would try to do it alone. It says, he says, uh, he closed with this statement. He said, it would make as much sense to them to command believers to be connected to one another as it would to command believers to breathe. We are meant to be planted together. So intertwined with one another that we bear one another's burdens together. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. I know exactly what some of you are thinking. You're like, well, nobody's reached out to me. No, I mean, if, you know, if they wanted me to be connected, if they wanted to connect with you, don't wait. Don't, don't wait. It, reach out. Text someone. Uh, just this week, actually, I was, I was talking with someone in our church, and they said a, a couple months ago, um, he and his wife got a text, got one of these text messages from another couple, and the text message just basically said, hey, um, we're going crazy. We need friends. Right? And so they decided, the four couples decided they'd get together once a month and have dinner together. That's it. It's that simple. And they said that that getting together has been one of the most life-giving activities they have every month because someone sent a text and said, will you be my people? Will you walk with me? Will you bear birds with me? Will you celebrate with me? Will you mourn with me? We were meant to live to be planted deeply together, so intertwined that we become interdependent with one another. If you want to see God change you, if you want to see God healing, if you want to see the fullness of life, plant yourself. Dig in. The second thing to produce good fruit, Jeremiah tells us, is this, is uh, to produce good fruit, you must be saturated. Uh, Jesus says this in John 7, he says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. You see this imagery again, this illustration? God, goodness, living water uh, as a fount exploding out, consuming, covering, saturating, uh, uh, enveloping to where it overflows with living water. Jeremiah, remember it says this, for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. You see, here's the thing about the edge of a stream. The nutrient-rich soil at the edge of a stream is always moist. And when a plant, when a tree digs its roots down, when you dig your roots down into God, what it looks like to produce good fruit is to dig yourself so deeply into Jesus that your roots are literally drowning in the waters of the river of life. 
that they are constantly moistened by, by the goodness of God, that, 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 that water saturates them. So, so let's be practical for a minute. Psalm 1, it says this. Psalm 1 says, um, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted. Like, you see this everywhere. Do you not? Like, like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. This is who we are. This is what we're to be. Which yields its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Look. If you want to dig your roots down deep into Jesus, if you want to be saturated by him, the psalmist tells us right here, this word right here is the center and the key of all of it. He meditates day and night. Now, now don't think, don't think meditates is like empties his mind. In fact, in fact, what he's doing, you see this? He meditates, he's filling his mind day and night. He's consuming the word of God day and night, over and over and over again. He's, he's pouring the, good, the words of God, the truth of God, the scriptures into his mind over and over and over again. He, he lives and breathes. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, he tells them to do stuff like to write it on their hands and to write it on their foreheads and to write it on their doorposts so that everywhere they go, every time they reach out for something, they see the words of Scripture. They see God's goodness. That every time someone sees them, what they see is the words of God, the truth of God. And if you want to bear fruit, if you want to find the fullness of life that God has for you, you need to saturate yourself so much so that you are pouring over the words of Scripture, God's law, God's teaching day and night, day and night, day and night. But it's even more than that. Something that I think that we severely lack in our 21st century West Christianity is um, this psalm is actually the opening. It's, uh, you know, maybe in a Jewish synagogue on Sabbath, you would hear them say, uh, turn to hymn number one. We're gonna sing the first, second, and fourth verse, right? Because that's always, you, you always skip the third verse. That's the Christian law. I don't know why people write the third verse. You just always skip it, right? The psalm is actually the Jewish hymn book. This, this, this verse here actually wasn't intended to be a, a monologue or a teaching. It was intended to be a song that they sung and they celebrated. And following this is 149 other songs that they would sing and they would celebrate and they would remind themselves of the goodness of God, of his provision, of his protection, of his greatness, of his kindness. And they would sing. There's something unique and powerful when the people of God sing together. It's just the way God made us that we were built. Music does something to us. There, there's, um, there's a general from like 120 years ago, and, and he said something to this effect. He said, um, I cannot imagine an army that would ever go to war without a band. And he goes on with this like really funky 19th century way of talking. But basically his point is this is that even a secular army general recognizes that there's something that stirs something deep inside us when we sing together. That when we recite through song the truth of scripture, when we declare again God's kindness and his goodness, you need to saturate yourself in the word of God, in teaching, in reading, in prayer, in meditating, in singing, in shouting, in writing, in painting, whatever it is, 
so much so that your soul is saturated in Jesus. This is, this is what, Je- what, what um, Paul said when, when he said to live is Christ, right? There came a point in Paul's life where um, it became hard to differentiate. He was so immersed in the, in the living waters of Jesus that it was hard to differentiate where Paul ended and Jesus began. That if we want to produce good fruit, our souls must be so deeply dug into Jesus that we're saturated, meditated, pouring, bleeding out Jesus with everything that we do. So my question to you, it's the question Jesus had of the Pharisees at the very beginning, is does the fruit of your life look like the words you claim? Does the fruit of your life, just take a moment and think back on the last month, on the last year, does the fruit, when you look back at your relationships, at, at, at family, at workplaces, in your community, uh, does, does, does the fruit of your life look like the words you claim of grace and hope and forgiveness and restoration, redemption and joy and goodness and new life in Christ? Now, I suspect that if for a moment you were honest enough with yourself and maybe even honest enough with me to actually say something about what you think about your last year, this, this might start to well up in your head. You might, go, you might say this. You might go, but Sean. Sean, Sean, wait, wait a second, wait a second. 2020, right? 20, can, can, we, can we look at 2019? Can we evaluate what's been going on in my life, the fruit of my life in 2019? Do you know 2020, right? Pandemic. I mean, distance learning, can we just stop there? Right? Wildfires, the economy, politics, Sean, can we just have a pass on this one year? But Jeremiah 17 ends with a peculiar sentence. It says this, of the tree planted by the river, he will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield its fruit. See, see here's, um, here's a really hard, uncomfortable truth I want to propose to you. It is not in the moments of abundance that the evidence of your faith is shown. It is in the moments of drought. It is in the moments of hardship. It is in the most difficult seasons that the depth of your faith is shown. The depth of your roots intertwined one with another, dug down deep into the uh, life-giving soil of Jesus, the, the water, the living water of Jesus. It's in those hardest moments that the true fruit of your life is shown. So let me ask you, does the fruit look like you claim? Maybe not even claim. Does it look like you'd want it to? Because if it doesn't, which I assume many of us, 2020 has been a realization that maybe, maybe we weren't as grounded one with another as we thought we were. Maybe we weren't as dug in. Maybe we didn't have as big a faith as we thought that we would. And maybe we've allowed moments and seasons in this year to, to divide us. And we've allowed moments and seasons of this life to, to be dictated by our fear and uncertainty and panic. It would be as absurd to continue to make the same cake recipe expecting that maybe this time it isn't dry for you to not do something different. So my question is to you, is if, is if this year 
your life doesn't quite look like you thought it would, if you've allowed this year and the heartache of this year and the pain of this year to, to dig in, and maybe there's been some things you've said, some things you've done this year that, that maybe you regret, that maybe this year is a realization that Jesus is exposing to you, that maybe your heart, that your, your roots aren't as deep as they need to be. And so what are you going to do this year? What are you going to do different this year, this week, this month? Maybe you're going to get signed up for Rooted. Rooted starts this next Sunday. Uh, you can do Sunday night or you can do Tuesday. Sunday night's online, Tuesdays, Tuesday night's in person. You can do Rooted. You can spend 10 weeks literally just doing what God tells us to do, digging our roots deep into him, and then we're astounded when, like, fruit appears. Maybe you need to call someone. You need to email someone. You need to say, hey, I need you to be my people. We need to get together. I need you to be able to ask me honest and hard questions. I need, to ask, I need you to be able to ask me anything. Because you see, here's what Jesus is trying to tell us ultimately. Is that it's in the hard seasons that what's inside comes out. And I wonder how many of us, when we look at our life this year, this week, when fear has come, the things that have come poured out are things that we're embarrassed by. Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting you to dig deep into him because into his life, into his water, there is grace and forgiveness. There is joy and rejoicing. There is freedom. So this year, this week, this month, what are you gonna do to dig in deep so that God can bear great fruit through you.